we're trying to reduce the stigma and provide things where it's like, wherever you are on this topic, you're, that's fine. These are just things that we're thinking about. It's cool if you would think about this too, and here's some resources you can take. The Ethicist Corner, a new podcast brought to you by the Kegley Institute of Ethics. Okay, uh, welcome to the Ethicist Corner, uh, a podcast in which we discuss ethics in everyday life. Uh, my name is Dr. Michael Burrows, and I'm uh, the host of the podcast. And my guests today are Samantha De La Cruz, a CSUB undergraduate student majoring in psychology and interdisciplinary studies, and also studying women's gender and sexuality studies, and also president of Club Gen on campus, which we'll talk about a little bit. And also Ali Lopez Belchon, a CSB graduate student, uh, is working towards MA in public policy and administration, um, and a former staff member with CSUB campus programming. Both Samantha and Ali have also held positions with Associated Students International here at CSUB, and we'll be acknowledging both of them for their work, which we'll talk about some today at the upcoming Wendy Wayne Ethics Award ceremony on March 25th. Given all your accomplishments, that's a mouthful, but uh, mm-hmm. Samantha and Ali, welcome to the Ethicist Corner. Thank you, Thank you so Sure, it's wonderful to have you today. I, to start, tell us a bit about your backgrounds. Um, where Where do you come from? Where were you born? Um, how did you come to choose CSUB as your university, too, if you need to talk about that a bit? So um, I am from here, from Bakersfield. I grew up on the east side, and I lived my whole life here on the east side of Bakersfield. My dad never finished high school. He was from Mexico and he never finished it there. And my mom did complete her GED. Mm-hmm. They were always big advocates for education and they supported any and all of my endeavors, which is, I think, the reason why I ended up here. Mm-hmm. So as a young kid, they constantly joked about how mature I was. There's a story about how my dad, uh, one time he was left alone to watch me and he entered my, my room. I was about, I think, two years old, maybe. Uh-huh. And, um, He entered my room to grab something, and he was kind of nervous because he said I was just watching him, like just analyzing what he was doing. (laughs) And he was like, what a weird kid. She's only two years old. (laughs) And I love thinking about that story because I think from such a young age, I was always so analytical. I was always so observant, and I was always so awake Mm -hmm. as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm 24 now, and that has not changed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm still the same ambitious little girl at heart. So I went to East High School. There I had a mentor who really exposed me to the idea of college. Mm -hmm. It was time for the applications around November. And he was like, Ollie, aren't you applying? And I was like, I don't know, am I? So um, he helped me sign up for those free applications to the CSUs. And I got into all of my CSUs. I decided to stay here uh, because the idea of college was still very new to me at the time. It was never on my roadmap, Uh despite having good grades and being an ambitious kid. So I started here, and as many students, I changed my major about 10 times before I found public administration. And I had a general education course in public admin, and in my first few weeks, I just fell in love with it. Everything that I loved about community and service and dedicating myself to those things Mm -hmm. was this entire field of study. Mm -hmm. So I easily, I I mean, that was the last one. That was the last major change. I stayed there. And now I'm in my master's program of public admin as well. Awesome. And Samantha, are you from Bakersfield as well? I am. Okay. Um, so I grew up here ever since I was a child. And, you know, I was a very quiet kid. I thought a lot and tried to just see how I would navigate life, you know. Um, you know, not the best background, but just to try to, you know, make my way through life. And so by the time I went through middle school and, like, high school, I normally was just thinking a lot. I started speaking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I went to Independence High School, 
and I joined Forensic, so debate and speech, um, and I was involved all four years, and that empowered me to speak mm -hmm. and make sure I was being heard and articulate myself and turn my thoughts into ideas and conceptualize things and learn about things beyond me and um, be able to argue both sides of it. So mm -hmm. we'd get a topic and I have to be for it and against it and mm -hmm. any given moment I have to present one or the two. So mm -hmm. I had to think about everything. Mm -hmm. It was a really great experience that I think changed the whole trajectory of what I've been doing in my relationship to ethics because yeah. that's really when it st I stopped thinking about myself and started thinking about the world around me yeah. and my role in it and I just kind of took off from there and then I applied to only CSUs uh -huh. um, graduating towards the end of high school because I didn't have the best grades I had a rough time at the beginning of my high school year with mental health I knew that CSUs would be a place for me I just love the CSU system and it was between CSU, East Bay, and CSU Bakersfield mm -hmm. and I was like I want to be involved in advocacy and activism and research and scholarship, and I want to do that here in Bakersfield. Yeah. I didn't want to have to go away to do what I want to do. I wanted mm -hmm. to really give back and immerse myself within the community here and grow here um, just a little bit longer at least. Right. It's the best decision I've ever made. I'm really happy to have had the experiences I've had uh, here at CCB. Awesome. And I think, I mean, it's interesting, yeah, and you're in part of your response to you talked about kind of thinking beyond yourself and... And, you know, one of the uh, areas of your work that's been really impressive is the work you do with Club Gen, uh, which stands for Gender Equality Now, yes. right? So for those who don't know, can you say um, a bit more about kind of uh, your role with Club Gen and, and what what's the work you do and, and why is it important for our mm -hmm. campus community? So I'm currently the president of Club Gen, Gender Equality Now. Um, I've been the president for the last two years and then I was vice president and then I was just a regular member. I've been in it since the first meeting they had when I was a freshman. Mm -hmm. um, so we focus on issues related to gender, but also sexuality, race, disability, looking at all the different uh, marginalized groups and all the issues that are intertwined and try to address them through student advocacy, youth-led advocacy, um, and activism, um, using a lot of grassroots organizing tactics. So I do a lot of community organizing through Club Gen. Um, I started with, as a freshman, I addressed a lot of things related to like sexual assault, so mm -hmm. educating about the culture around sexual assault and how we can mitigate our role in perpetuating that. As I got more educated and more secure with my own identities as a queer person, I started doing more for queer and trans youth mm -hmm. and queer and trans community here in Bakersfield. Um, so like Transgender Awareness Week mm -hmm. um, has been a really big thing on campus and getting securing rights for students and also giving resources to the community. And then uh, along with that, we do the Sexual Ethics Education Fair, mm -hmm. which Dr. Jackson, you know, with her course, she presented that she wants to showcase the students' work. So mm -hmm. I um, helped set that all up, and we didn't know what it was going to look like. It all came from scratch and came together and is now grant-funded. Wow. And that happens, you know, once a semester. So mm -hmm. there's been a, a lot of stuff in Club Gen, and mm -hmm. my role is helping people get what they want done and also trying to increase awareness around what we are doing. Right. So it's interesting, and I know both of you have done work on diversity and inclusion initiatives on campus, uh, including Club Gen, but both of you have held positions um, with ASI, and that's Associated Students International, right? Um, so why why the focus on, I mean, of course, I, I think diversity and inclusion is, is important, right? But I'm interested in why you think it's important and how you think about that on our campus, and maybe for, you know, 
in terms of working with student populations generally, like what makes you both so passionate about diversity and inclusion work? And maybe I'll let me talk with you. I mean, why do you think that's an important focus? And maybe what has your focus been within that broad category in terms of diversity and inclusion at our campus? I, I think it all started when I realized, I mentioned earlier that I was in high school and I had the grades and I had the ambition and I had the drive and I wanted to do something big, but mm -hmm. I didn't have the access to education as many others did. Mm -hmm. um, the conversations didn't come across. I don't know if everyone got mail talking about college prepared classes and I just missed that piece of mail, but there was mm -hmm. something that had me disconnected from from higher education specifically mm -hmm. so when i when my mentor encouraged me to apply and i finally got in and i found this community that would support what i believed in i thought if i had the mentors if i had the doors open by others i need to be that for other people mm -hmm. i come from a low-income family I, I come from a low socioeconomic neighborhood we all have an endless amount of like identities that affect our experiences but what I've learned and what I've reflected on in these past few years, these communities, they have just as much capacity. Mm -hmm. They have just as many educated people, experienced people, people with stories that need to be told, but they just may not have the access that some of us others have the privilege to have that access. Mm -hmm. um, so I think as soon as I got into, into school here at Cal State, I took a good look in the mirror and realized if I really want to commit myself to doing something, I need to take my experiences and make sure that others maybe don't live the same ones. Mm -hmm. What if I didn't have that mentor that helped me out? Mm -hmm. Would I have not ended up here today? Mm -hmm. You know, Would I have not been able to listen to these conversations and contribute and sit at these tables, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it really all started there. And since then, that's really been what I've been committed to. My, my time as a student advocate on campus really started in 2016, about six, sorry, four years ago. At the time, the CSU was also having a big conversation about diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging diversity, but practicing inclusion. Because, right. you know, on pamphlets and everything you're going to see across all higher ed, yeah. you know, diversity photos and look at us. But is that campus really practicing the art of inclusivity right are we bringing our students to the tables are we giving mm -hmm. our students our you know voices mm -hmm. and are we giving them an opportunity to tell us what they need from us can i ask you a question about that so like i think that's right so we can talk about practicing diversity and inclusion or using the language but i think you make a nice distinction we say but what does it look like to actually practice it on the ground mm -hmm. and is there like a particular program or example that you think about where you're like whether small or large you think this is kind of an example of what inclusion looks like Right. This is kind of an illustration of like an experience maybe from your career where you think this was successful in bringing voices to the table or it stands out for you as an important initiative that you worked on. Yeah, so I have a very favorite one. Um, and I'm really excited that you asked that question. A lot of people get caught up in these big conversations about diversity and inclusion and accessibility and trying to make the world change. But you can't change the entire world. You can't reroute the way that we've been doing things in just one day. You have mm -hmm. Small projects are just as meaningful sometimes mm -hmm. to make sure that the people at all levels are getting access to where they need to go. So my time in the Associated Students Incorporated, my second term with them, I was the executive vice president. The year prior, I hadn't served. The student government received criticism from the campus and from the campus newspaper about how not enough people were running for positions. Mm -hmm. So many positions were running unopposed. Therefore, students really didn't have a vote if only one person was running for that position. That's when I realized that maybe it was a structural issue. It's not that we don't have students that aren't capable. It's not that we don't have students that aren't excited and have wonderful ideas 
and can bring great things to the table. It's maybe that the organization was not being accessible to these students. So during my term, one of my biggest projects was to make the elections process as accessible as possible. Okay. And we tried targeting it in many ways. One of the ways was uh, we began the campaign process uh, about a month and a half earlier than previous to give the opportunity for students to come meet the current board of directors, mm. to learn about our roles, to shadow us, and to see what we really do. And then maybe they can choose where they're most interested. So exposing them to the work that we do yeah. so they can see before they run in elections where they best fit right. and where they'd like to go. Right. Another thing we did was create a free kit of marketing materials for any student that signed up in time. We had, you know, we have deadlines, but the marketing materials were the the 20 free large posters and the 50 free handouts so students could use uh, in marketing on campus. Mm -hmm. And again, we also encourage them to do social media, but mm -hmm. we didn't want financial resources to be a barrier for students to not run in right. elections. Right. So that's another way that we did this. Yeah. Now, in all, this cost us nothing. Mm -hmm. It cost us nothing at all. Mm -hmm. But if a student is concerned about their financial resources, and that's what's deterring them from running for elections, mm -hmm. then are we really is our board really representative of the students we have here? Yeah, right. So that was one of my favorite projects. Um, and it may not have seemed very big, but then the following year, oh man, that, yeah. that elections was yeah. very full yeah. with wonderful students. Well, I mean, it's actually, and it's really interesting you say, because I think sometimes, I mean, and at the Kegnis too, we do obviously a lot of community-facing programs, and I, so I constantly think about this question too. Um, how do you be inclusive in the programming you're developing? And on the one hand, you can think, well, look, we're doing the program. People can just come or not, right? It's up to them. But obviously, it's a much more than that, right? It's like, you know, in the example you gave, it's being proactive. It's recognizing financial insecurity that you need to address for somebody to be, even if they wanted to try and run for one of these positions, you need to meet them where they are. You need to let them know what the resources are, support them in that, like invite them to a meeting. Like, so being inclusive is not just one thing, it's actually kind of like a scaffolding, it's multiple things you're doing. Absolutely. I think there's a really important lesson there, right? Samantha, what about what about you? Is there is there a program with Club Gen or an event or, or anything really that you that you think of where you think this is a program we've done that I think has been really important for inclusivity efforts on our campus? I think transgender awareness because it's been a big one. Um, it's we had our second um, annual trans awareness week last fall and then we did it the year before. Mm -hmm. um, was the inaugural one, and we did it based around Jay's library. So organizing Jay Ford, seeing a Jewish trans woman that was part of Club Gen and a cast major here at CSB who took her life, and just giving a resource. You know, it's something tragic happened, but there's a beautiful like flower that blossomed out of this. Basically, there's gender and sexuality affirming books in the Club Gen room, which people can access at any time, um, and just what that means when we present that to people as a possible resource. Um, at club fairs or doing all our other events, um, you know, we see queer and trans students and parents like come overwhelmed with emotion that we're just there. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that it's something as simple as books, right? Books on a shelf, yeah. but that has so much more than that. And creating yeah. a safe environment where people can come and access that, um, and so they know they have a space. That's yeah. them being included um, and being recognized, yeah. and then just being visible has been a really big thing. But it's not just being visible; it's mm -hmm. offering tangible things that they can take with them and increase accessibility to all this knowledge and to things that do pertain to them. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it, and I think that, you know, diversity and inclusion comes down to also like reflection and accountability. We have mm -hmm. to reflect on how we can do better. We need to reflect on who's in the room with us mm -hmm. having these conversations, who else can be here? How can I make them be here? What have I done to exclude someone? Mm -hmm. 
you know, look for a trench and we're going to see when we celebrate Jake's library, we have an ASL interpreter there. And, you know, since we start realizing these things more and more and how we can make things more accessible, what it means to someone, we start bringing ASL interpreters to all the events we do. Um, and we would try to live stream our events and we would try, we'd offer to like pay for parking or pay for someone's like Lyft or Uber to get here if needed because we want to make sure that that goes out to everyone here on campus, everyone in the community that needs it and just give them any sort of, whether it's hope or resource to improve their mm -hmm. circumstance or just their well-being and be happy. Mm -hmm. um, like our sexual ethics education fair, it's happy, it's fun, it's about having a conversation that for some people it's uncomfortable, yeah. but we're trying to reduce the stigma and provide things where it's like, wherever you are on this mm -hmm. topic, you're, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Just These are just things that we're thinking about. It's cool if you would think about this too, and here's some resources you can take whatever you want take it whatever you don't want don't take it and yeah. that's what we're trying to provide you is we're trying to we're trying to have all the resources and the programs and initiatives reflect who is actually here right and what they lack and how we can intervene in a way that's very impactful right interesting yeah these are i mean both great great examples so i'm wondering you know um both of you are leaders on our campus i'm wondering are there people who have influenced you or been mentors or somebody that you look to where you think okay this is kind of a person who influenced my conception of leadership and why i do the work i do is there is there somebody or, or some persons that have been that for you and how did that impact you maybe start with you samantha um, so Dr. Jackson has been a big one she nominated me for the one who and this is Dr. Deborah Jackson yeah. uh, yes okay she was advisor of Club Gen when I joined, um, so she taught me just what it means to lead, what it means to, to have programs and brainstorm and plan things out, also from her experience um, with the community organizing activism she did. Dr. Jackson taught me how to be a leader. Dr. Salisbury taught me a lot with like applying my leadership to academics, mm -hmm. and Dr. Dugan empowered me with both and recognizing the work I did and mm -hmm. just showed me what it's like to be seen in the way that I want and be supported in that way to where it's like, I didn't have as long of a history with Dr. Dugan as I do with Dr. Jackson, Dr. Salisbury, that doesn't matter. I still go into her office and have an amazing conversation with her. Like I've known her my whole time at CC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and this is also, it's just for our listeners know too. So it's Dr. Rhonda Dugan is a professor in sociology, Dr. Tracy Salisbury from Interdisciplinary Studies and Dr. Deborah Jackson is, I believe, is associate dean for graduate and undergraduate education here. So, thank you. That's really uh, helpful. Um, and what about you, Ali? Are there kind of people that you have in mind that have influenced your career? Oh yeah. Um, so my sophomore year, I was invited to be in the Sensational Sophomores Leadership Organization. I received the invitation because I received a 3.0 or above my freshman year. And I had no clue what it was about, but I showed up because I was interested. Fast forward one year later, the advisor for that program offered me a job in her department. And that is Emily Callahan, mm -hmm. uh, formerly Emily Poole. She is the director of campus programming. And at first it started off as a graphic design position. So I was creating flyers and brochures. And, and even through that, I was practicing how to be as inclusive as possible mm -hmm. uh, in, in my marketing. Inclusivity, sometimes you think it's race and, and gender and, and sexuality, which are the hot ones, the big ones, uh, but it's also abilities. So I was ensuring that my marketing material was 
um, visible to those with color blindness, you know, or representative also of the communities or the, the target audience. So Hispanic Heritage Month wasn't just about Mexico, mm -hmm. and it was inclusive to all the Hispanic or Latino countries. Mm -hmm. uh, the Black History Month was, I love uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, but it wasn't just him, right. you know, it yes. was players across the field in the black community. Uh -huh. And I think she saw that in me. And little by little, she began giving me more tasks mm -hmm. and more projects. And she let me also take initiative on things I was mm -hmm. passionate about. Yeah. Emily helped me navigate higher education through the skills and the things I was so passionate about. Mm -hmm. And she let me add my little touch of, of passion and, and inclusivity into some of these events and the marketing and such. Yeah. So be it that two years after that, I, or no, my second year working for her, I believe it was my fourth year here at Cal State, she, I, I pitched the idea of celebrating International Women's Day here on campus. Mm -hmm. So we had our first International Women's Day and it was massive. We were in the Stockdale room. I think it seats maybe about 100 people. We had to open up the barrier and let another 100 people wow. in because the turnout was great. Fantastic. And since then, the Organization of Women Leaders has uh, taken initiative on that event on campus. But that's something that, as an undergrad, she allowed me to, to propose and to execute here. Right. And, and I think it was, I really appreciate how Emily emphasizes the need for youth voices on this campus. Mm. She's great at handing over trust and allowing her students to think out of the box. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what really got me and my gears and my head working. Yeah. That eventually led me to ASI, that led me to other jobs and internships on campus and outside in the community. So I think it all really started there. Yeah, I'm really I'm really fascinated by that question. I just love to hear you both talk about it because it just seems like there's for all of I mean, everybody, right? There's people in our lives who you know, because you meet them and you work with them, you kind of your path changes, right, in ways that you can't anticipate. And that's one of the wonderful things about mentors and people that we meet and study with. Um, so, and you mentioned youth voices in your answer, and I, I wanted to ask, and uh, no, I don't want to make you spokespeople for all the youth of CSUB, <laughs> right? But um, I, I, I would be interested in kind of, I mean, this podcast in part is about ethics. I think diversity and inclusion is an ethical issue, so we, we've been talking about ethics in that regard. Are there other kind of prominent ethical issues on our campus from a student's perspective that you think, um, whether they're being addressed now or not, but you think diversity and inclusion, major area we've talked about, um, are there other ethical issues that come to mind for you where you like think, okay, this is a really important ethical issue for, stu ethical issue for students? Um, maybe one that actually you think is not talked about a lot or not addressed fully, but it comes to mind for you, and you can interpret that how you'd like. I have a lot. For example, like Airmark is our food like service mm -hmm. provider here on mm -hmm. campus, but they're in um, detention centers as well. Uh -huh. So a lot of our students are from backgrounds like that would from be affected by like immigration, and then also we have Project Rebound, mm -hmm. and we have students here, undocumented students that are fighting like against detention centers right now, mm -hmm. and going in the community, which are being shut down, like in McFarland. Um, uh, so. so or it's being addressed in the community, but it's not being addressed on our campus as well about what's happening and things that we need to talk about. Um, yeah. We did, there was an ASI resolution passed to help trans um, and queer students. There's a start um, and a lot of things are happening, but it needs to be pushed a lot further. And I think that as youth, there's a lot of pressure on us to do the work, but I think that there needs to be a lot more pressure and accountability on the people 
that aren't the students. So whoever else has a role and where they can step up and say, you know what, this is how I need to advocate and what I can do. Um, And this is how I can provide an answer. Maybe it's not, maybe it's, this can't happen right now, whatever it may be, but being transparent enough to where the students are actually aware of what's going on. Because I think it's also very hard considering the students on our campus, a lot of them work, a lot of them have families. Yes. Um, They have all sorts of obligations that they have just to survive that if the burden isn't on them to necessarily find out and just do something about it it's on making sure that they're aware and that if they need anything this is where they can go for help and this is how we can actually help them in a way that's gonna have you know immediate um relief but also long-term sustained like support for them. Got you. Yeah, that's really a helpful answer. I mean, insightful. I mean, uh, on a number of levels, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ali, what about you? Is there any any other issues that you that come to mind for you? Uh, Samantha, Samantha really covered them. Yeah. Um, however, she touched a very good point, and I'd like to just expand on it sure. a little bit. There's issues that maybe our students are more affected by uh-huh. and there's barriers i mean there's bureaucratic barriers in administration and i yeah. get that that's how campuses work but i think to really get stuff moving like you said samantha we can't just depend on one group to do it yes we need to educate these students and we can't do that without the administrators and the faculty and the staff to support their efforts their education but if there's an issue we can't just look to one group to fix it because even the most experienced empowered and ready students cannot get things going unless someone is listening. So it's really that idea of shared mm. shared governance, yeah. really. Yeah. If the students are the advocates for the issues, mm-hmm. but the administration gives them a voice and gives mm-hmm. them a seat mm-hmm. and really trust that they're speaking the truth, that mm-hmm. they're they're not saying this because they want to stir the pot. They're mm-hmm. saying this because it's affecting their lives. Right. Samantha touched on we have students with individual issues. Um, a lot of it really goes back to diversity and inclusion. Yeah. But all together as a community is to make sure that we're all doing our due diligence to make sure that these problems are addressed. And as students, mm-hmm. hopefully it's us advocating for ourselves and one another, but in the administrative levels, it's them really giving us a place and us right. not being decoration at, at meetings. You yes. know, we're not there to be a nice plant on the side or just yeah. to be the one token student that's at this. I mean, really ask us, yeah. what do you think? How, how do you feel about this? Have mm-hmm. you asked others about this? Mm-hmm. Because that really, I think, it causes a, a wholesome solution, mm-hmm. not a one-sided solution. Yeah. May I add to that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of times we are asked about our opinions and what we think and stuff. Also, I think administration, just people on this campus on all different levels need to place value on what we're saying and mm-hmm. really take it for what it is and that we wouldn't be saying anything if it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, institutions aren't made for marginalized people. Mm-hmm. We know that. Um, and there's a lot of things that need to change, but there's people with the power to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about like making sure that that power is being distributed in a way um, and used in a way that helps people that are on the very bottom at, at the margins, you know, as well hooks hooks or margins to yes. center. Yeah. Um, because that's what needs to be done. Like I am a queer Latinx student, right? So I deal with mental health issues. I am active as a student leader. I'm active with Academics and research and Sally Casanova scholars, your research scholar, Wendy Wayne awardee, but a lot of times I don't. I have all these resources at my disposal, but there's still so many times where I'm not heard and I am have no support and I'm disempowered 
when I'm trying to address something on this campus. Mm -hmm. And so if that's happening to me, then what does it mean to the student who doesn't have any of these resources and doesn't know where to go? You know, we can have all these events and we can table at things, but that doesn't mean we're going to reach them if they don't know about it. And if we don't do a better job at including them. Yeah, diversity and inclusion. Yeah. So are there, I mean, these are really powerful answers. I mean, giving me a lot to think about. I'm sure our listeners too. So, I mean, are there, let's say we're, you know, sketching out a guidebook right now about ways to, um, let's say we have, we have a commitment to take student voices and marginalized student voices really seriously, right? Let's say that. Um, and I don't expect you to have all the answers here, right? But what would be one of the first entries you put in that guidebook or that manual for, uh, administrators or people or faculty or whoever staff it seems to be to keep in mind Here, here's one way you could you could make an effort tomorrow to do uh, a better job right um, uh, of, of including these voices and taking them seriously is there some steps you suggest or a step you'd suggest looking at what information you already have so has the student brought this concern um, up is this a demand that is a group of students have made that or um, is this something that I don't like administrator doesn't really know about how the students feel about it or doesn't know the need there and so asking questions and getting that and having something like a public forum or mm-hmm. something where students can really come at a time that could benefit most students but not very early in the morning or you know at a time where it's a the most we can get a very good turnout for it yeah and listening to what students have to say even if it's hard because mm-hmm. all these conversations are hard mm-hmm. um and you know when it comes to ethical considerations it's not black and white yeah. there's a lot of gray area there there's a lot of things to pick out and really discuss and i think that needs to happen yeah and i also think that you know as students we need to go to our other students and see what they need and their demands and then kind of somehow come together so i think that it's a lot of listening, mm-hmm. a lot of um, increasing accessibility to these conversations, mm-hmm. and then reflecting on them and actually seeing, you know, taking that plan of action. I think that a lot of us think of it has to be like a direct action, but there's a lot of planning and organizing involved to get it done, but it is doable and it can be done in a very efficient and timely mm-hmm. manner, especially when it needs to. Yeah. Ali, anything you want to add to that? So having a background in education and in service, I've seen a lot of times where service people mean well, but we may not necessarily understand what the root issue is, and we want to address a very surface issue. For example, if we are battling basic needs on this campus, we think, oh, okay, well, we'll just give out free food. But maybe, I mean, of course, that, that, that helps everybody. That helps students get a meal in before they can go to class or get a meal in, so they don't have to leave campus and they can focus that time on studying. But what is the real underlying issue there? The issue is maybe the access to good food, the access to healthy food, um, the access to affordable food is not in the reach of our populations. And, and on our own campus, we see that. We have now have a food pantry that every semester is expanding its hours to be open for more and more students. And that right there is a great example of addressing the real underlying issue of something. Mm-hmm. So I think when you encounter an, an issue that's brought to you or something that you're seeing on this campus, don't take it for just surface value because if it's existing, more than likely there's something underlying there. Right. So I wanted to transition, actually, we do this, this uh... The whole podcast has been fun, but we have this part called the lightning round where you probably heard it, right? Where you have some questions to get to know you better. So I'll ask you, these questions will be for both of you. Um, So uh, the first question, because I I love movies, uh, what was the last movie you saw? 
and did you like it? I saw Birds of Prey and I loved it. Okay. Loved a lot. What's Birds of Prey about? Birds of Prey is so it's Birds of Prey is the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. So uh, right. okay, yeah, yeah. You know, a superhero movie, but I have a lot of love for Harley Quinn. You know, and also it had more feminist take on the film so it's very interesting to see um it's a rated r film so you don't really mm -hmm. think of the hero villain like comic movies being rated r right so seeing it for kind of made for audiences like me was a really cool experience okay i think it was the silence of the lambs ah. the, last movie, the last movie i just saw was silence of the lambs uh but it wasn't my first time it's one of my favorite movies classic Okay, next question, maybe we'll start with you, Ali, on this one. What was or is your favorite class as a university student at CSUB? There is so many, but I'll tell you the most recent <laughs> one. Um, last semester, I had a management and nonprofits course with the former executive director of CASA of Kern County, mm. Colleen Magali. She was so amazing. She somehow took the curriculum and took her stories. She dove us into the world of nonprofit management. Mm. I walked away from that class feeling like a brand new Ollie. So awesome. Amazing class. Awesome. Thank you, Samantha. So she's no longer here, but I took um, gender and society in the social department with Professor Gibson. And it was amazing because she really challenged us. You know, we were a very diverse group in there. You know, sometimes that people give a lighter load to you because, you know, they know that a lot of these students have different obligations. So she's like, I'm going to challenge all of you to read this amount of books and to have these discussions and really engage in a way that was really fun and mm -hmm. um, in different ways that allowed everyone an opportunity to shine from mm -hmm. various group projects to our ones a social media campaign to ones like a more research-based one and then all books from like social media to like, you know, hardcore books that are talking about really like hard to talk about um, and traumatic like experiences. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a, a well-rounded way to digest this information, think about it and discuss it with groups that, you know, they, this might be the first time talking about it and they might, they're working through it while I'm working through it too. Mm -hmm. So it was just a really nice experience to have that. And it was so much into one course, but it was, it left a lot of us very empowered mm -hmm. and really, we were really happy. Mm -hmm. It was a really great experience. It's nice to have an uplifting professor and a, like, you know, the good material. Yeah. You leave a better student. And yeah. I think that's what you can hope for. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? Let's start with you, Samantha. I would have, was it dinner? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would have dinner with Sylvia Rivera. Um, trans Latinx activist who was involved with the beginning of the gay liberation movement in Stonewall. Um, she lost her best friend, like her trans sister, Marsha P. Johnson, to, um, to what was like a homicide. And um, then she had a lot of backlash from the community at the time and had to take, you know, like a 20 year break to take care of herself, but then come back to organizing up until the 2000s. So, to talk to someone who's seen such a big transgression was at the start of a big movement, but also had to deal with their own life, I think is a conversation that I would love to have with her. Because a lot of time we make people who do amazing things as unbreakable um, and always going, but no, we're all people and we all have our own needs and we're affected by a lot of the issues that we bring up. So I just think it'd be really cool and awesome to get her perspective and knowledge. Mm. 
So if I could have dinner with any one person, past, present, I would actually choose Freddie Mercury, the former mm. vocalist of Queen. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, one of my favorite groups, but also he was so necessary, I think, at that time. His, his, him and his presence in music, in media, in the world was so necessary for the LGBTQ plus community, um, for the evolution of rock and roll, mm. you know, uh, and could you imagine what that dinner would look like? Yeah. I mean, a fun <laughs> dinner. I would love to have dinner with I have a, confe a Freddie Mercury-related confession to make. I've been actually planning for like three years to like dress like him for Halloween. And I've still not done it. So I need to find the right outfit and I need to grow a mustache. This year's the year. But I, yeah, I know. So I've, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. But I'm a huge Freddie Mercury fan too. But wonderful answers. Um, and now I've said it on a podcast, so I have to do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is your favorite thing about living in Bakersfield? My favorite thing, and I think it's what a lot of us share living here, it's the community. Mm -hmm. It's how we are the biggest little town, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and there's so many connections. There's so much growth happening. I would not like to leave right now. Mm -hmm. Bakersfield is right now transforming. Mm -hmm. It's just growing and it's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's developing, hopefully, and looks like it is, into something really great. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the community and yeah. the excitement of the change that's happening yeah. right now. Cool. Yeah, I would say the same thing, community. I think that there's a lot of ideas about Bakersfield and the people who live here. And then I look at my community and, you know, my immediate community, like the larger community of Bakersfield. And I see so many beautiful, amazing things mm -hmm. here that have been here that are progressing and turning into things that people have never like even envisioned to happen here in Bakersfield that they go elsewhere to find. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me so happy. So this is my last question. It also relates to our community. Um, let's say you had a magic wand and you can make one change tomorrow in our community. What would it be? Mm -hmm. I would abolish prisons, um, okay. immediate abolishment of those, especially like my severity, the detention center here. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. If I had a magic wand and I could change one thing, somehow get a lot of money going into education. Mm -hmm. Because, Sam, you make a good point. I recently came across um, a, some right research that said that they can predict the amount of beds they're going to make in a prison by the test scores of third graders. Mm -hmm. And that's one method mm -hmm. that is used. That is, it's rough. That right. is a rough way to think about our future. But if you invest into education, that's where you get a lot of prevention. You know, you go around the school to prison pipeline. You know, yeah. like you, you start to dismantle potential opportunities for these students' futures if you start where it all starts, and that's yeah. in education. Yeah. So major harm reduction yeah. and em empowering, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you both again for spending some time with us um, here is the, at the Ethicist Corner. And it's been really awesome just learning more about your work, hearing more about your insights and perspectives, and a privilege for me to talk with you. Thanks so much for, for the work you do. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us. Fantastic. Both Samantha and Ollie will be honored at this year's Wendy Wayne Ethics Awards on March 25th at the Seven Oaks Country Club. Tickets can be purchased at www.csub.edu/wendy. Thanks for listening.